When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. The biggest and best bowl games are yet to come, so there's still time for you guys to jump in on all the action at MyBookie. Just go to MyBookie.ag, use our promo code UGA while you still can. you got about, at this point, a week or so, guys, so jump on it while you can, MyBookie.ag, to get that awesome 50% bonus on your first deposit for all new users. There is money to be made out there, so line your pockets today with MyBookie. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and I am back today with our official Orange Bowl preview episode. And to be entirely honest with you guys, I have no idea how to go about this particular episode. I have no freaking clue. I really don't. This is simultaneously the most difficult and strange game preview I have ever had to prep for, bar none. I mean, how do you prep for a game when you don't fully know who will and won't be playing on either side? And then there are obviously some guys that we know are not playing. They've opted out. They've hit the transfer portal. But but in most of those cases, the guys that are backing them up, they're going to fill in for those guys who have opted out, whether it be for the transfer portal, surgery, the NFL draft, whatever it is. We don't really know that much about them because we haven't really seen them much, if any at all, because they were buried on the depth chart the entire regular season. I mean, it's wild, man. This is unprecedented for me. I, I really don't remember ever having done an episode like this. Have we had games that people don't really care that much about, like doing a Vandy, Vandy preview or something like that? Yeah, we've done those, but at least in those games, while they're, they're not hyped matchups and no one really cares all that much about them, at least I know who's playing for those teams. At least I know what they like to do offensively and defensively from a schematic standpoint. At least the numbers have some semblance of relevance to what's going to happen on the field of play. I mean, a game like this, you got to just throw the numbers out. I mean, I could read you off all the Florida State's offensive and defensive numbers, but why would I do that? The players that put up those numbers are largely not playing. They have Those numbers have no relevance really to this game because it's really a different team that we're facing. So yeah, you get my point, right? How do you prepare to do a preview episode for a game like this? And the answer is, I don't really know because I've never really done one for a game quite like this, but we've got a job to do here on the podcast and I'm going to give it my absolute best shot. But again, I just don't know. It's weird. Well, I guess let's start with this. It really is a shame what this game has devolved into because this had the potential with these two teams that were really in the top five pretty much all year long. This game had the potential to be a premier, the premier non-college ball playoff bowl matchup of this particular 2023 bowl season. You know, I mean, 10 and 11 years ago, this place, this game would have been sold out and there would have been tons of hype around this game. Two power programs like Georgia and Florida State, but now that's not the case. Now it's a punchline that everyone knows is a joke. It's, it's an open secret. This game is an absolute joke and it's going to be a bloodbath, guys. With who Florida State has available in this game, this is more or less going to be the equivalent of Georgia playing Wake Forest or somebody like that. Ostensibly, yeah, we're playing Florida State, but let's be real. We're not really playing Florida State, not the Florida State team that we saw the entire regular season. So yeah, I have no question about it. it this is going to be a bloodbath one way or the other. The only question in my mind, it's not if it's going to be a bloodbath, it's how bad of a bloodbath is it going to be? How badly are we going to beat them? Which on one hand, that's great for us, right? Big victory for Georgia heading the offseason. But on the other hand, it is. It's a shame. It's a shame that this game has devolved into this. It's not even an exhibition. This is just like 
a glorified practice almost. This is like a spring game, more or less. It's a shame. And this game, this Orange Bowl, this once proud bowl, has just become another casualty of the nature of modern college football with opt-outs, the transfer portal, of course, NIL. And let's not forget, I mean, the advent of the college football playoff, it clearly has played a role in this. And speaking of the college football playoff, we all know the situation that Florida State is in right now. We know they went undefeated during the regular season. They are the first team in the history of the college football playoff to be left out of the college football playoff as an undefeated Power 5 conference champion. Now, yes, of course, there are extenuating circumstances around that with Jordan Travis being knocked out for the rest of the season and was it the penultimate game against North Alabama with an absolutely grotesque injury. And the Coswell Playoff Committee used Travis's absence as the pretext to keep Florida State out of the Coswell Playoff, saying that the Seminoles are not the same Seminoles they were when they went 12 0 during the regular season without Jordan Travis. And they used that to justify jumping Alabama over Florida State, even though Alabama had a loss during the regular season. We know that story. It's well documented at this point. But when that happened to Florida State, it really could have gone one of two ways. The Knowles could have come out with their hair on fire for this game, with something to prove. And they all could decide, you know what? We have NFL futures. We're going to end the transfer portal maybe after the season, but we're going to delay that for now because we want to come out and prove to the committee and prove to everyone out there, the Kirk Hershey's of the world, saying that the committee was right in leaving us out. We want to prove to them just how wrong they were. It could have gone that way. That's option one. But option two was the Seminoles could have left their disappointment and what they perceive as the injustice of the decision to lead them out of the college playoff, they could have just let that take the fire out of them, which is clearly what has happened at this point heading into this Orange Bowl matchup on Saturday. And I can't blame them, guys. I mean, I really can't at this point. I understand the frustration. You guys know I've been saying it for the past three weeks here on this show. I'm still extraordinarily frustrated by Georgia being left out of the college football playoff. I'm still sick to my stomach over it. I still don't think I'm going to be able to watch the playoff games, at this point at least. I still think it's a fraudulent process with how it played out. So if I feel that way, you know these Florida State players who are actually out there for all these games and put up that undefeated season. You know they have to be feeling the disappointment on an entirely different level. So I can't say I blame them. I hate, I hate what has happened to the bowl season. I hate the concept of opt-outs. But that is the world we live in now. It's here to stay. It doesn't matter if I like it or if I don't like it. It's it's just the reality. So you have to just learn to accept it. But I get it with these guys for Florida State. I understand why they've opted out, why they've hit the transfer portal and said, you know, yeah, we're going to the portal. We're not going to play in this game. I get why some of them have opted to go ahead and have their offseason surgeries and not delay that until after the bowl game. I get it. I get that frustration. I really do hate the apathy that has come to define the non-Coshball Bowl season. I really do. I hate it. But in Florida State's case, I get it. I get it more than I have with any other team in the Coshball playoff era. I truly understand it. But let's go ahead and move into the part of this episode where I'm going to begin to try to break down this game as much as you possibly can with the lack of information that we have going into it. And let's actually start with the Georgia side of things. We're going to get to the Florida State side of things. Let's start with Georgia because we have obviously a lot fewer players opting out of this game, at least as far as we know at this point. Here's what we do know right now. We know, as it was reported on Tuesday night, that Brock Bowers and Amarius Mims, I'm sitting here recording this on Wednesday night, we know they did not arrive in Miami with the team on Tuesday night. Now, that does not mean necessarily they will not play in this game. I do think it means it's likely they will not play in this game, but there is yet to be an, an official announcement on either one of those players. Now, here is where I'm going to jump on my soapbox for just a few minutes here. When the news did leak that Brock did not make the trip with the team on Tuesday night, there was a very small minority of Georgia fans out there, and I don't even know if they deserve to be called Georgia fans at this point, but there were people out there who claimed to be Georgia fans that decided it was appropriate to criticize and rip Brock Bowers for quote-unquote quitting on his team. You guys know that I try very hard to keep this a family-friendly podcast, so please forgive me when I stray from that for one quick moment here. Get the hell out of my face with that BS. 
Everyone, of course, is entitled to their opinions. Sure, of course. Who am I to say that you can't have your opinion? But at the same time, I am also allowed to say that I think your opinion is one of the most asinine things that I have ever heard in my 37 years on this earth. I am certainly not a gatekeeper of Georgia fandom in any way, shape, or form, but as far as I am concerned, if you are of that opinion, we simply do not need you in this fan base. You are talking about a young man who has sacrificed so much for this program and has given this program so much. This is a player that absolutely could have walked away after the Vanderbilt game and said, you know what, guys? This is a season-ending injury. I'm not going to be able to come back from it. I got to go prepare myself for the NFL. I got to protect myself. I'll be around the program as much as I can, but I, I got I to do what's right for me. He could have easily done that. Easily done that. He could have done it after the Tennessee game. Let's not forget, guys, he didn't play against Georgia Tech. Why not? Because the guy wasn't healthy enough to play against Georgia Tech. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not aware of this, Brock Bowers in the tunnels of Mercedes-Benz Stadium after the SEC Championship game could not walk. The dude could not walk on his own. I don't know, guys, if there's another player in the entire United States of America who had what Brock has to lose, a surefire top 10 draft pick in this year's NFL draft. I don't know if there's a player in that situation that would have done what Brock did in putting his health on the line to go out and try to help us win an SEC championship and put us in the college playoff yet again. That dude had no business playing in that game. Hell, the guy had no business really coming back when he did against Ole Miss. Coming back in, what, 26 days? That was unprecedented with that injury. The work that he put in behind the scenes to get his ankle to the level that he could even do anything to help us on the field? You have no conception of how much work went into that and how much Brock sacrificed to make that even a remote possibility. Hell, even back as a freshman, the guy's shoulder was jacked up basically the entire back half of the season. And he kept playing and kept playing and kept playing. And he didn't do that for himself. He did it for his teammates. He did it for his coaches. He did it for you guys. He did it for the University of Georgia. For you, for me. Honestly, how dare anyone criticize this kid for potentially not playing in this Orange Bowl game? I frankly find that to be unconscionable. Oh, and by the way, you want to know why the guy didn't arrive in Miami with the team? It's because he's still in Athens doing everything he possibly can to rehab that ankle to give him any slight chance to be able to play in the Orange Bowl. That's why he's not with the team right now. He's still trying to do everything within his power to put himself in a position to maybe have a chance to go help his team win a game one more time. And some of you, I know, a small, 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 infinitesimal minority of you, but the idea that anyone on planet Earth wants to criticize this guy, when you consider all that context, it's unfathomable. It is the height of absurdity as far as I am concerned. And take my word for it, guys, Brock is going to be with this team on Saturday in some way, shape, or form. Whether you can play or not, he's going to be there with his team on Saturday because that is the kind of guy Brock Bowers is. That's how that dude is built. And now I will step off my soapbox. I appreciate you guys for allowing me to just vent there for a minute because that has certainly gotten me worked up, as you can tell, over the past 24 hours or so. Again, I know it's it's very few people out there that are saying these things, but again, the idea that anyone would have those thoughts, let alone feel like it's okay to say that out loud, is, um, man, that's that's wild. But back to the original point, we know that Brock and Amarius Mims were not with the team when they arrived on Tuesday. Will they play? Again, probably not, but it's not necessarily completely a done deal there. But that's really about it in terms of players that we know are very unlikely to play in this game. Now, there are some other players that I would say due to injury are probably not going to give it a go. I think Smile Munden would be a player to watch. He was very, very banged up the last couple games of the season, and I don't know if he'll be at 100%. I, actually, I know that he will not be at 100%. I just don't know if he's going to be healthy enough to go. I don't know what that situation is, but I would probably lean right now towards saying Smile does not play in this game. I would say the same thing for Lad McConkey. We know he gave it a go against Alabama in the SEC title game, but we also know watching that game is very clear that he was nowhere near 100%. And just like Brock should not have been out there on the field, but he was because a lot of the same reasons. He wanted to go out there and do it for his teammates, his coaches, the fan base, the program, all of the above. But Lad is not healthy. He hasn't been healthy the entire season. 
And I, I just don't know right now if he's going to give it a go again. There's been no definitive word there, so I can't tell you that Lad McConkie is not going to play, but a lot like Smile Monday, I would say it's more likely than not that he's not going to play in this game. Now, he's, again, like Brock, doing everything he can to rehab and get himself to the point where he can play. I just don't think that's the most likely outcome. But outside of that, we're going to have pretty much everyone else available in this game, at least as far as we know right now. We know that Kamari Laster has said that he is playing in this game. We know that Javon Bullard has said that he is playing in this game. Chas Chambliss is going to play. I mean, that was, I didn't think he wasn't going to play anyway, but he officially announced that he's coming back next year. And he's one of those guys like, well, you probably weren't a guy that was going to go pro, Chaz, but we're glad you're back. You know, that's great. Kendall Milton has already made it clear previously, right after the SEC Championship game, that he was going to play in this bowl game no matter what. We know Carson Beck has already announced that he's coming back for 2024, and he is clearly playing in this Orange Bowl. Cedric Van Pran and Zion Logue have already accepted offers to play in the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl, respectively, so they're going off the NFL, but as far as we know, they're both playing in this game. Robert Thomas, I guess, would be another guy that's probably not going to play in this game with the injury that he was dealing with with the foot sprain late in the season. I think that was a little bit, I actually know that was a little bit more severe than Kirby was initially letting on. So I would say he's another guy that's probably not going to play in this game, but that's not because he's opting out. It's just because the guy is injured. There have been, as has been well documented, a number of players. Well, I think we're up to 20 players overall that have entered the transfer portal. There have been a couple of players that were contributors. Pop Dumas Johnson is one of those guys. He will not be playing with the team. He's already transferred to Kentucky, but he was probably not going to play anyway with the uh, the arm injury they suffered early in the season against Missouri. We lost a couple special teams players, some guys on the, the, the two and three deep, really more the three deep than the two deep. We, we lost some depth pieces, but in terms of impact players, we're really not going to be missing all that many of them. And I want to give Kirby Smart a lot of credit for this. Now, the players themselves deserve a lot of credit because they're the ones who ultimately made the decisions here. But as far as I'm concerned, this is a byproduct of the culture that we have built within the Georgia football program. We know the pillars that this program under Kirby Smart has been built on, right? Toughness, composure, resiliency, and connection. That's what we're seeing right now, guys. This is a culture thing. That connection matters to these young men. We have a number of guys that are going to declare for the NFL draft after this game. They haven't yet, and most of them, not all of them, most of them, if they're healthy, are going to be playing in this game, even if they are going to declare for the NFL draft. Why are they doing that when you're seeing teams like Florida State and other teams across the country have these players that are going to the NFL draft already opting out of the bowl game? Why is that not happening in mass with this Georgia program going into, I mean, I hate the term meaningless bowl game, but I mean, I, I guess it somewhat applies, a, an exhibition game, certainly. Why are we not seeing that happen to Georgia? Culture, connection, it's our program. It's the pillars that we have built this program on. It's not something that we just give lip service to. It's something that we actually live out, that our players and coaches buy into. I've said it many times. There are a lot of really talented football teams out there. I know we didn't get the three-peat this year. The, the winning streak ended against Alabama. It was bound to end at some point. We all knew it was going to end at some point. We didn't want to actually believe it was going to, but we had, like deep down, we, we knew it was going to at some point, and it did, right? But I believe the reason that we did win those back-to-back national titles and did something that Alabama has never done, won back-to-back titles in the, nas- in the, in the college football playoff era and gone undefeated in three consecutive regular seasons, I believe the big separating factor was our culture. Certainly, we had a ton of talent. We still have a ton of talent. One of the, if not the most talented teams in the country every single year on an annual basis. But I still believe what separates us from those other really talented teams is our culture. And I think this is just the latest example of that. And all in all, considering that we are not in the college football playoff, going into this Orange Bowl match against Florida State, I think we are in far better shape from a roster standpoint than I thought that we would be. If you would have told me back what on... December the 4th or 5th or whatever, if you would have told me that all these guys that I thought were going to declare for the NFL draft have decided to not opt out, are going to play in this game, I would have said, yeah, not much of a chance. But here we are. It looks like these guys are going to play. So we are in much better shape than I thought that we would be and clearly in an entirely different situation than Florida State is facing coming into the Orange Bowl, which we will get to right after this break. I do want to just quickly remind you one more time about our great friends at my bookie. I already told you guys earlier this week with part two of our bowl picks that I have put a sizable bet on Georgia to cover 14 points. I know the spread has moved to like 17 now with more of the opt-outs coming from Florida State's end of things. I got it at 14. I thought that was easy money. Honestly, I still think 17 is is easy-ish money. 
I would still feel comfortable putting money on Georgia up to about 21 points, up to about three touchdowns. But of course, that's just my opinion. You do whatever you want to do, but whatever you decide to do on the betting front, make sure to do it with my bookie. They have all the best options out there. They're going to have a bunch of parlay options for you guys, cash out early options, prize pools, live betting options, so many ways for you guys to make some money during the bowl season. And they really could not make it any easier for you to sign up. All you have to do, guys, is go to mybookie.ag, take about a minute of your time, sign up for a new account. When you do that, use our exclusive promo code UGA, and you can still get the 50% bonus on your initial deposit, which gives you more money to bet with and more chances to line your pockets this bowl season. So again, jump on it while you can, guys. MyBookie.ag, use our promo code UGA so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. All right, guys, Florida State. Whew, Florida State. First off, let, let's applaud Florida State for this season that they had. It was a hell of a season. This is a team going back to the preseason when Charlie Curtis and I were doing our preseason predictions episode. I had them in the college playoff. They were one of my four teams, and they really were everything that I thought they would be. I told you guys, I think on that episode, I thought they were going to beat LSU, and sure enough, they beat LSU. I thought they were going to Clemson. It beat Clemson because I didn't believe in Clemson this year. Sure enough, they went into fake Death Valley and beat Clemson. And then they ran through the rest of the whatever ACC schedule undefeated. And then they beat Louisville shorthanded, but beat them nonetheless in the ACC title game to go 13-0. Every other year, we've had a situation where a Power 5 conference champion goes undefeated. That team has been in the college football playoff. Not this year. For the first time ever, a Power 5 undefeated conference champion gets left out. And we all know why. It was the injury to Jordan Travis that changed everything for Florida State. Yes, after the injury, they did go to Gainesville. They went to the Swamp and they beat Florida. Not a very good Florida team, but they beat Florida in a rivalry game nonetheless. And some way, somehow, they pulled out that victory against Louisville on the back of really strong defensive play in the ACC Championship game in Charlotte. But it was clear they were not the same team. And how could you be when you have a player the caliber of Jordan Travis, who was a Heisman Trophy contender all season long, no longer a viable option to play for you the rest of the season? So they get left out. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, it could have gone one of two ways. They could have come out with something to prove with a chip on their shoulder, hair on fire, and come out swinging against Georgia in the Orange Bowl. It could have gone that way. But we now know it definitively did not go that way. Their team was understandably devastated by the decision to leave them out of the college football playoff. They lost their fire and the team more or less fell apart. Let's be real. That's what happened. It fell apart. And now they head in this Orange Bowl in what, two and a half days to play the team that was number one all season long. And yeah, we're going to be without some of our best players, but we're going to have the vast majority of our major contributors playing in this game. And they're going to face that Georgia team as shorthanded as really any team that I can ever recall in the New Year's Six. It's not a new thing to see opt-outs in these New Year's Six games. That's pretty commonplace, but not to this degree. This is reaching an entirely new level. It's not just one guy or two guys or even three guys. We're talking about at least 20 players on this Florida State team have opted out of this game. And we're not talking about just a bunch of guys that have been buried on the depth charts. So they've entered the transfer portal and they're not going to play in this game. That's not what we're talking about. That's kind of what we've been dealing with and what we're facing heading, heading into this game. But with Florida State, we are talking about impact players. We are talking about the best players, the most productive players on this entire team. Let's try to go through this, guys. So again, we, right now we know it's at least 20 players, and that's just what we know of. It could be more. But right now, here's who we know is not going to be playing for Florida State. We know Jordan Travis, whose leg fell off against North Alabama earlier in the year. He's out. And that's bad enough. We saw what they looked like against Louisville with really everyone not named Jordan Travis available. And that was bad enough. That was a far cry from the Florida State team that we saw all year long. But now it's far more than just Jordan Travis. Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, their top two receivers this year. Jaheim Bell, their starting tight end. All three of those players have opted out. And those three alone, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, and Jaheim Bell, have accounted for just about 53% of Florida State's total receiving yards in 15 of their 25 passing touchdowns. That alone would seem to be debilitating, right? Yeah, it would be. 
But we can't stop there. No, we're just getting started. Joining Travis and Coleman and Wilson and Bell are running backs Trey Benson, Lawrence Toafili, and Rodney Hill, the three top running backs on Florida State's team. They are all three opting out, not playing in this game. Florida State's top running back in this game is a dude by the name of Keziah Holmes, who has 156 yards rushing total for the entire season in 13 games. But hey, we still can't stop there. I mentioned Jordan Travis, right? He's out. Well, so is their backup quarterback, Tate Rodemaker, who just recently, as in like two days ago, on Christmas Day of all days, basically as Florida State was gathering up to get on the plane to head to Miami, said, oh yeah, deuces, I'm out. So that means Florida State is left with true freshman third stringer Brock Glenn, who if you watched any of the Louisville ACC Championship game, that's who played for them in that game. And if you watched that game, you know what I'm talking about. That guy was an absolute train wreck. He could not do anything to help them move the football. So you're out. Not just your starting quarterback, your backup quarterback, your top three receivers, your top three running backs, and you're playing against the Georgia Bulldogs who were number one from week one all the way through the entirety of the regular season. And who, yeah, are dealing with potentially a few opt-outs, but have the majority of their team, even their draft eligible guys who are probably going to end the draft after this game, ready and willing to play in this game. And that's just the offensive side of the ball. What about the defense side of the ball? Well, their best player on defense all year long, their most disruptive force, has been Jared Verse, their leading sack man, nine sacks on the year. He is almost certainly going to be a first-round draft pick in the 2024 NFL Draft, and he's opted out, not playing in this game. Linebacker DJ Lundy was kind of like a co-starter at linebacker, split time with Kalen Deloach at linebacker, and was the third leading tackler for this Florida State defense. He's gone. He's opting out. He's hitting the transfer portal, actually. And then in the back end, Florida State is going to be without three starters in the secondary, as Renardo Green, Akeem Dent, and Jerry Ann Jones have all three opted out and declared for the NFL draft. Oh, and let's go back to the defensive line. I skipped a guy there, Fabian Lovett, a big space eater on the interior of their defensive line, a starter for Florida State, has also opted out of this game. So on top of all the attrition on the offensive side of the ball, Florida State is going to be without at least five starters on the defensive side of the ball. And look, I don't know how familiar you are with with this Florida State team, with this Florida State roster. So I went ahead and crunched the numbers for you to try to give you a little better perspective on exactly what Florida State is heading into this game without. Because if you haven't watched a lot of Florida State, those names might not mean all that much to you. I know you know who Jordan Travis is and probably Keon Coleman, probably Johnny Wilson, some of these other guys, even some guys especially. You probably don't know them as well. But let's put this in a little bit of perspective for you here. Okay, Florida State is coming into this game, the Orange Bowl, with 97% of its passing production missing. The Seminoles have thrown for a combined 3,373 yards this year. They are going to be without 3,266 of those yards. They have thrown a combined 25 touchdown passes on the year. There is not one single quarterback currently on this roster that will be available to play in the Orange Bowl on Saturday that has thrown a single touchdown on the year. Jordan Travis and Tate Rodemaker accounted for every single passing touchdown the entire season for Florida State. And both those guys are out. Well, maybe we can lead on the receivers, right? Well, if we don't have the quarterback experience, maybe we can just lead on those, those receivers to really help this young quarterback out. Meh, not so fast, guys. The Seminoles will also be without 67% of their receiving yards and 68% of their receiving touchdown percentage. Again, their top three leading pass catchers on the season have opted out of this game. Well, if we can't throw the football, we can just lean on the run game, right? Nah, can't do that either. Florida State is going to be without not just their leading rusher, not just without their top two leading rushers, not just without their top three leading rushers. The Seminoles will be without their top four rushers on the season. No Trey Benson, who was their leading rusher this season. I think one of the better running backs in the country. I know he only had 900 yards rushing, but I love this guy's running style. I think he's a really talented player. No Lawrence Toafili, their second leading rusher. No Rodney Hill, their third leading rusher. No Jordan Travis, their fourth leading rusher. They got Keziah Holmes, who's their fifth leading rusher with 156 yards rushing on the year. And that's about it, y'all. 80 
85% of their rushing yards production is not playing in this game. The players that Florida State has to work with on offense in this game have combined for three rushing touchdowns on the season. And then to put one big bow on all this lost offensive production, on the season, Florida State's offense scored 57 touchdowns. 57. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. But the players that accounted for 49 of those 57 touchdowns are not playing in this game. And look, I know that our defense this season was not as dominant as the defenses we saw in 2021 and 22. It wasn't. That's no secret. We've talked about that really all season long here on this podcast. And sure, we're probably going to be without Smile Munnin in this game. We know Pop Dumas Johnson's not playing, but that was the case really the last month of the season. But outside of that, I fully expect every other major contributor on our defense to be playing in this football game. And we are still a top 10, top 15 defense nationally. And Florida State is going to try to go up against that caliber of a defense with that mash unit on offense? When I tell you guys it's going to be a bloodbath, do you kind of get why now? I am quite honestly not sure how Florida State is going to move the football at all in this game without us just making some boneheaded mistakes and just give them free yards. And that's not something that Georgia defenses typically do. I know we've got some young guys playing in this defense, especially an inside linebacker with Raylan Wilson and CJ Allen, but those guys, yeah, they're technically freshmen still, but at this point, they're not really freshmen. They played so much football. They have plenty of experience, and yeah, they might make a mistake here or there, but they're not going to make near enough mistakes to give Florida State a chance to come even remotely close to being able to score enough points to win this game. And guys, this is not me being a homer. I am truly being as objective as I possibly can about this game. That's what I try to do every single week here on this podcast. But in this game, this is not me saying, oh man, Florida State sucks. Georgia's going to come here and roll them because we're Georgia and they're Florida State. No, I'm, I'm not doing that. What I'm telling you is Florida State does not have the manpower in this game to threaten the Georgia defense really in any way. I watched Florida State's last two games this season without Jordan Travis. So I watched their game at Florida in the swamp. And then I watched, I didn't watch it that night. I went back and watched it later to prepare for this game because I just couldn't stomach watching it that night after the lost Alabama in the SEC title game. But I went back and watched the entirety of Florida State's game against Louisville. So I have seen what this offense looks like without Jordan Travis at quarterback. Against Florida, a Florida defense that was abysmal all season long, really, but especially down the stretch. I mean, listen to these numbers, guys. So the Florida defense gave up 486 yards to Georgia, 481 to a horrible Arkansas offense, 700, 7 freaking 101 yards to LSU, 508 yards to Missouri, and then they held Florida State without Jordan Travis in the regular season finale to 224 total yards, 3.9 yards per play. We averaged 7.4 yards per play against Florida. Arkansas, 6.2 yards per play. LSU, 11.5. Missouri, 7.5. Florida State, Sands, Jordan, Travis, 3.9 yards per play. And then against Louisville, with Brock Glenn at quarterback, the guy who is going to be at the helm of this Florida State offense on Saturday, they only put up 220 yards of offense, 16 points. Yeah, Louisville's defense has been better than Florida's defense all year long. Louisville's defense has actually been pretty good. But still, 220 yards of offense, 3.4 yards per play. By far, Florida State's two lowest total yardage and yards per play outputs of the year came in those final two games. Prior to those final two games, Florida State had not averaged under 5.2 yards per play in any single game all year long. And then they were 3.9 and 3.4 yards per play against Florida and Louisville, respectively. And yeah, that was without Jordan Travis, but that was with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and Trey Benson and Lawrence Toafili and Jaheim Bell. Well, Georgia's defense is significantly better than Florida's defense and better than Louisville's defense, and Florida State has to face us without Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and Jaheim Bell and Trey Benson and Lawrence Toafili. How could anyone in their right mind expect Florida State to be able to fare any better against the Georgia defense in the Orange Bowl than they did against Florida or Louisville 
those final two games of the season. Yeah, I guess you could say, well, it's the bowl game. It's a little bit different story. Maybe Georgia's not motivated. Florida State's had, you know, 15 bowl practices to get ready for this game. I guess there's maybe a little bit of truth to that, but this Georgia team seems pretty motivated, guys, with all the guys that are going to go to the NFL draft that are coming back to play in this game one final time. It seems like this Georgia team is ready to play. We might not be at full strength, but we're close enough to it, and this team is motivated to go out there and make a point while Florida State has essentially fallen apart. And while, sure, I guess you can say, well, Florida State's had about a month or so now to put a plan together without Jordan Travis for this game. Okay, sure, but up until literally two days ago, they thought it was Tate Rodemaker who was going to be their starting quarterback. Now, not so much. It's freshman Brock Glenn, who's a different type of quarterback than Rodemaker is. And certainly, not that I'm saying that Rodemaker has a lot of experience, but he's been around the program for a long time. This Glenn dude is new, man. He hasn't been there long. He doesn't know what he's doing. If you watch that Louisville game in the ACC title game, that dude had no clue what was going on out there. I mean, guys, I'm serious. Without a busted play here or there, it would not shock me at all if we shut them out in this game. Now, as college football and things happen, I mean, Vanderbilt scored on us, right? But Florida State, with what they're going to be trying out there on offense against what we should have out there defensively, it's going to be a long night for the Seminoles. And when we come back from this final break, I am going to give you some thoughts on how I think Florida State is going to try to structure their offense with all of these players out and what I expect us to try to do to attack the Florida State defense, the Florida State offense, the whole nine yards. We'll talk about some scheme stuff here in just a minute. But real quick, I do remind you about our good friends at Alumni Hall. I know you guys are probably like me. Your friends and family were kind enough to give you a little bit of cash during the holiday season, so you got that money just burning a hole in your pocket right now, and there's no better place to spend it than at Alumni Hall. Whatever brand you're into, whether you're a Nike guy, whether you're a Peter Millar guy, Johnny Yo, Cutter and Buck, Southern Tide, whatever you're into, trust me, Alumni Hall is going to have what you want. Whether you're looking for clothing gear, some home and office stuff, some stuff for your car, whatever it is that you're in the market for, Alumni Hall is going to have it, guys, because Alumni Hall has the best selection of George gear that you will find anywhere. So stop by today inside the Epsbury Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. All right, guys, how is this game going to go? What is Forest State going to try to do to attack the Georgia defense, to try to put some points on this board and keep this thing respectable. Because really, that's all I think they even have a chance to do is to keep this thing relatively respectable. I think that has to be their goal because they're not going to win this football game. If Rodemaker was playing, they might have a, a little bit of a better shot. They would have had a better shot through the football because Rodemaker is a competent passer. He's not Jordan Travis, and he would have been without his top weapons, but he has enough knowledge of the system. He'd been in the program long enough to be able to go out there and competently run what Mike Norvell wants the Florida State offense to run. But that's not an option for them in this game because Rodemaker has opted out. So they're with freshman Brock Glenn. Now, this guy on the season has been nothing short of a disaster trying to throw the football when he's had an opportunity. Now, to be fair, he has not had many opportunities. But on the season, in four games, four appearances, Brock Glenn is 10 of 25 passing for 90 yards, 3.6 yards per attempt. And guys, in that game against Louisville, they tried a couple of times to push the ball down the field to Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. It just wasn't working, man. It wasn't happening because Brock Glenn had no idea what was going on. His downfield accuracy was comical. They didn't throw it downfield often, but when they did give him opportunities to try to stretch the field, he was just throwing the ball up for grabs, really, is what he was doing. And without those receivers in this game, I don't. I honestly don't know if they're even going to try. I guess they'll, they'll have to take some, some shots. One player to watch on offense for them, who is a, a really good high school player, a good recruit, a guy that I liked coming out of high school, is Hakeem Williams, who's a freshman. And he really didn't do much for the Seminoles this year. I mean, if you look at his numbers on the year, they're extremely pedestrian. I mean, he had four catches for 71 yards, but I think he's a talented player. And I imagine he's a guy they might try to target down the field some in this game. Kyle Morlock, who's a tight end hit, who did have 19 catches for 255. He wasn't their starting tight end. He was a backup guy. He'll probably be a guy they'll try to lean on the pass game. He's not a guy that's going to stretch the field. He's more of an intermediate guy, a move the chains kind of guy, possession receiver type guy. But I guess there's value in that when you have a quarterback that so inexperienced. You're just looking for easy ways to get the ball into guys' hands so you can move the chains. I think Kyle Morlock's a guy they're going to try to get the ball to on some boot actions, maybe even some tight end screen stuff. 
I imagine they're going to use a lot of screen action in general, especially from the running back position. Now, obviously, there is no Trey Benson and Lawrence Toffoli in this game, but those guys were good receivers at bat for them. They used them a lot in the screen game. I mean, Benson had 20 catches, 227 receiving, and Toffoli had 21 catches for 186, so 41 catches between them. Again, they're not playing in this game, but that doesn't mean they're not going to try to use Keziah Holmes in that role this year. I mean, he only had four catches for 56 yards on the season, but in this game, Again, considering the quarterback situation, the deficiencies they have in the past game with Brock Glenn at quarterback, it just makes sense. They'll try to get the ball in the hands of the tight end, the running backs, use a lot of RPO action in this game. But how much can you expect to move the football against this Georgia defense with that as your sole offense if you really have no ability to push the ball down the field, which I really have serious questions about with Brock Glenn at quarterback and with all the, the top receivers opting out of this game. I will give Glenn this. He is a mobile guy. He's an athletic runner. He is a he's a guy that they will absolutely use in the design QB run game. He's a tough runner. He's a physical guy. He is not one of these guys just, just going to slide and try to run out of bounds. Like he'll try to put his shoulder down and pick up some yards. I have respect for that. So I imagine that's going to be a, a big part of their offense. They're going to use a lot of design QB run stuff, which let's be real, that's given us trouble at times this year, more than a couple times in different games. So I imagine that will be a big part of their offense QB run game. They'll try to mix in some screen game and try to keep us off balance and keep our pass rushers from pinning their ears back. Really what they want to do is they want to stay out third and long, right? So how do you do that as Florida State's offense? Well, again, I think you have to use a quarterback run game. I think you have to use a screen game and try to just get positive yards as much as you can. Try to stay out of the negative yardage situations. Try to stay away from third and long because if you get in third and long, when we bring our dime package on the field, we get guys like Jalen Walker and Damon Wilson on the field, it's, it's lights out. You're going to have no chance. So I do expect them to be methodical. Try to keep the ball out of our offense's hands. Just get two, three, four yards here and there. Try to stay ahead of the chains. Put themselves in third and medium and third and short situations where they have a chance to actually convert and keep the chains moving. I would also fully expect them to throw the kitchen sink at us in terms of trick plays. Just be ready for that, guys. It's going to happen. What do they have to lose in this game? The answer is absolutely nothing, so why not? It's a bowl game. That's that's a staple of bowl games in general, and I think in a game like this, with all the players they have opting out and the expectations being as low as they are for Florida State in this game, I expect that to be a big part of what they do. They'll probably come into this game with four or five trick plays, and I expect to see quite a few of them. We usually do a really good job of defending trick plays as we are a very disciplined, well-coached football team, but you have to come into this game expecting that. Now, as far as the run game goes, again, I do expect them to use a lot of design QB run stuff for Brock Lynn because that is something that has given us trouble at times this year. But in general, their run game focuses on one play and one play in particular. It is outside zone. They are an outside zone run team. Who does that sound a lot like? Oh, yeah, that's Missouri. And let's not forget, Missouri did have a lot of success running the football on us with Cody Schrader running that outside zone play over and over and over again to the point that he ran for over 100 yards against us. Now, Cody Schrader was honestly probably the best running back in the SEC this year, at least the most productive running back in the SEC. Florida State's not going to have that with no Trey Benson, no Lawrence Toofili, no Rodney Hill, but that is a play that has given us issues at various times here, most notably in that Missouri game. And we all know that we've had some issues, not some issues, a lot of issues defending edge runs this year, and the outside zone is one of those edge runs. And considering that's what Florida State does, that is their play. They run that over and over and over again. We are going to see a healthy dose of outside zone. And if they get any traction running that play, I do expect them to run some constraint plays off that, run some boot action off that, and try to get the flow going the opposite direction, and try to maybe hit some big plays off of play action if they can. I think that's about the only way they'll be able to generate big plays in the passing game, is if they get that outside zone play going and they get us over committing, and then they hit us backside with some constraint stuff. So I guess that would be Florida State's path to success in this game offensively against our defense. But again, I do not expect them to be able to move the football with any sort of consistency. They are just far too outmanned, and Brock Glenn is just far too green and experienced to be able to expect them to really come close to putting up the kind of points they're going to have to put up in this game to win it. Now, defensively, the question always is when you're facing a young, inexperienced quarterback who might be like a deer in the headlights, the question always becomes, what do you do to attack him? Do you blitz him and you pressure him and try to get him to panic and make some mistakes and throw you the football and turn the ball over? Or do you sit back and make him earn it, make him go through progressions, make him actually read defenses, which is not something that he's shown the ability to do in his few times out there on the field this year. I know a lot of people like to light up the young quarterbacks and just blitz them. I typically do not favor that strategy. And the reason why is 
when you blitz them like that and you try to light him up, yeah, it could cause him to panic, sure. But really what you're doing is you're giving him more one-on-one opportunities on the outside. And a quarterback like Brock Lynn, who's not ready to go through progressions and read what defenses are doing to him on any sort of consistent basis, when you give him a one-on-one look on the outside, he can hit that. He can say, oh yeah, there's only one guy covering this guy. Let me throw up and see if my guy can make a play. I think in a lot of ways you're playing into the young quarterback's hands and making it easier on them if you bring all that pressure and try to light them up. Now, if you get to him, of course, all bets are off, but you better get to him. If you don't get to him and you give him those one-on-one opportunities on the outside, he just has a chance to throw the ball up and a guy go make, go makes a play, then they can hit big plays on you. But the issue for Florida State in, in this game is, okay, let's say we try to light them up and Brock Lynn gets one-on-one opportunities on the outside. Well, who is he getting one-on-one opportunities with? It's not Johnny Wilson. It's not Keon Coleman. It's not Jaheim Bell. So in this game, in this context, with all of their attrition at receiver, I would be more okay with us trying to bring more pressure on early downs against Brocklin, trying to get him to force the issue and make a mistake, because I just don't know if they had the guys on the outside that are going to be able to win those one-on-one matchups against Kamari Lasseter and against Dalen Everett and Tyke Smith and Javon Bullard and Malachi Starks. I don't think they have those guys. Who are those guys? Who are those guys right now that we know are going to be a threat to beat our DBs one-on-one. I don't know, man. You got to prove it to me. So I might get more aggressive pressuring Brock Glenn this game than I otherwise would if it was just Brock Glenn having to fill in at quarterback and they still had all their weapons at receiver. They don't have all those weapons. So without all those weapons, I think you can take more risk trying to pressure Glenn and see if you can force him into a couple mistakes and end this game real early. And then offensively, I think it's pretty clear to me what we need to do in this football game. Throw the ball early and often. Of course, I'm not saying abandon the run. Our offense is still predicated largely on being able to run the football and working play action off of that. But with Carson Beck playing in this football game and with the weapons that we still have a receiver, we're not going to have Lab McConkey. Probably not going to have Lab McConkey. We're probably not going to have Brock Bowers. Almost certainly not going to have Ra Ra Thomas. But we're still Georgia. We still have a lot of depth that position. We still have Dylan Bell. We still have Dominic Lovett and Arian Smith and Oscar Delp. We still have Marcus Rosemead, Jack Saint. We still have plenty of weapons at the skill positions on offense. And then when you consider what Florida State is without in the secondary, without three starters in the back end, and also without Jared Verse, their top pass rusher, one of the most lethal pass rushers in the entire country, I think this is a game where we can absolutely light Florida State up in the passing game. And in the process, kickstart the Carson Beck for a Heisman campaign heading into the 2024 offseason. I also think we can have plenty of success running the football. Again, no Fabian Lovett in the middle of their defense. Joshua Farmer, who's a really good prospect for them. I think he's going to be a good player for them. We thought he was going to enter the transfer portal. That was a guy that I was saying, hey, man, we should go after. But he ultimately did not enter the portal. At least he has not as of yet. And he will be made in the middle of that Florida State defense. He's a solid player, but he's not quite fully there yet. Not a fully experienced player. But without DJ Lundy, sure, Kalen Deloach is playing. But they're going to be missing some guys in that front seven. I think we're going to be able to run the football on this Florida State defense. Braden Fisk is actually playing this game. He's a guy that I did not think would play for Florida State with all the other opt-outs. I thought he's a guy that would clearly opt out of this game. He transferred into Florida State this year from Western Michigan, and he's been a really good player for them on the interior of their defensive line. He's a twitchy, powerful, high-motor kind of guy. I think he's going to be a pretty high draft pick in the NFL draft. Maybe not a first-round guy, but he'll be a second, third-round draft pick. So I thought he'd probably opt out, but i got to give this guy credit. While everyone else around him is opting out, at least as of right now, he has not opted out. It looks like where it is, he's going to play in this game. So he does give them a, a tough guy to handle on the interior of their defensive line. But that's one guy with no Jared Verse to worry about. All of a sudden, you can dedicate more attention to Fisk. But with how we were able to run the football the last part of the regular season, I think we can have some success against this Florida State defense, at least enough to keep their defense honest while we light them up through the air, which is what I think that we can do and probably should try to do in this football game, considering all the losses they have in the game. But at the end of the day, guys, this is a game that, again, I fully expect Georgia to win. And not just win, I fully expect this to be a game that Georgia wins comfortably. And a game that we use as a springboard to launch us back into contention for a national championship in 2024. Game might not have any championship implications this season. It doesn't. It's more or less an exhibition game. That's really what it is. All of that's true. But... I don't think it's meaningless because winning a game like this can give us momentum going into the offseason that might not be the be-all, end-all, but it certainly helps us as we prepare to make another run for a national title during the offseason. 
At the very least, it's a game you'd rather win than lose, obviously, right? Because you, can you imagine the offseason narrative if we happen to lose to this Florida State team with how shorthanded they are? It would be a miserable offseason. It'd be a black cloud hanging over our heads all offseason long. It'd be a talking point all offseason long. It would drive conversation. And I'd rather that not be the case. We don't want that kind of negativity around our program. We want as much positivity as we possibly can in winning a game like this and winning it in going away fashion would bring a lot of positivity heading into an important offseason for this football program. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you. Again, I know this was a really weird game preview episode. I didn't really know how to approach it. I gave my best shot, as I told you guys I would. I know I didn't go too deep into the numbers with this Florida State team because, again, I don't know how much relevance they have. In fact, I don't believe there's much relevance to those numbers, especially offensively, because that's not the team that we're going to be playing on Saturday. Yeah, it's the Florida State Seminoles. They'll be out there maroon and gold, but we all know it's not the same team that played the first 13 games of this season. But hopefully I was able to give you guys a little bit more insight into this Orange Bowl matchup against Florida State on Saturday. And look, guys, I know it's certainly a bit of a letdown to not be in the college playoff this season after the past two years. I get that, man. I feel it too. And so I know it might be difficult in some ways to get up for this game. But all I would say to that is, guys, it's one more time we have to watch this team play. One more time for nine months that we have a chance to watch the Georgia Bulldogs play a football game. And while this game might not have championship implications for this season, I still can't stand losing. I hate the feeling. I'd forgotten what it felt like for so long. And after getting a taste of that again a couple of weeks ago, I don't want to feel that again. I don't want to have that taste in my mouth for nine months. Having that taste in my mouth for a month was bad enough. Nine months? That's almost impossible to fathom. So I'm pumped for this game. I'm obviously not as pumped as I would be for a playoff game. I'm still excited for it. And I'm going to be going crazy in Miami. And I hope you guys find a way to enjoy it as well. But that's it for me, guys. I will be back next week. Curtis should be back with me to recap everything that goes down on Saturday in the Orange Bowl. So we'll have that for you guys. And we'll have a ton of great coverage for you the rest of the offseason. You guys know we do not go anywhere. We are here all offseason long. We do not go dark. We'll give you your football fix all offseason. Plus, we'll be talking a lot of other Georgia sports as well. So great stuff the rest of the way this offseason. But let's get one more win in this 2023 season, and then we can start looking ahead to the 2024 football season. But I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs!